You know I'm right. The podcast that uncovers the origin stories of some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, music, wrestling, and so much more. And Joe, we got a real one with us today. We do. I'm not going to give him a long introduction. We're going to get right into it. Uh, former WWE superstar, Enzo Amore. Enzo, my good friend, my good pal. You wrestled my friend Chris Benet a couple weeks ago here on Staten Island. We see you drive, and we're going to set this up for you nicely. How you doing? Chris Benet. <laughs> I'll tell you what, man. I'm doing great. Uh, yesterday was the best day of my life. You wouldn't believe what happened. What happened? I wake up today. Today's better than yesterday, bro. It's been a great start to a day, dude. The New York Giants won last night. I was at the arena. Uh, I, I can't even tell you how how inspiring it is to see a Paisan out there throwing tutties. Did you see his chain? Tommy DeVito, right? You know, his parents named him after uh, Tommy uh, DeSimone in, in the movie Godfather. Yeah. Tommy DeVito, played by uh, Joe Pesci. So he comes out to the, to the arena. He's got a chain that says TD. His initials, touchdown. So good. Just can't make this shit up. He's got an eight. His agent looks like, uh, you know, straight out of central casting for, for a gangster flick. Um, the whole family in a parking lot. I might have to go link with these people sometime soon. I, I, I know a few of these, a few of these uh, paisans, you know, just a couple of them. Speaking of which, you're my paisan. You're out there at DJ's down at the Jersey Shore. I saw you flexing the hat just a second ago. It's just great. That? It's a little blurry right there. <laughs> That's when you know you're a real one. Unfortunately, I'm not the real one like you, but I am a real one. Uh, you got some Dunkin' Donuts? So your buddy, so, so your buddy Chris, uh, I got to wrestle with just a few weeks ago. And if, uh, you know, I break character for a second, uh, it was a fun experience for him, um, as it is for me on the, on the independent scene, as I've been a wrestler on the indies now for – the better part of, you know, I've, I, I've been out of the WWE since 2018. So it's been quite a bit, about five years now. And, uh, you know, I didn't wrestle for a few years. So there was a, a couple, you know, uh, years there where I was out of the ring. And by getting back into it on this level, uh, the thing that's really gratifying for me is getting in there in the ring with guys who want to, for one, be in a ring with me, who, who, who look forward to, uh, you know, the chance to wrestle me, uh, you know, I wouldn't call it an opportunity, but every day is an opportunity. And every time you get into the ring is an opportunity and it's an opportunity for me to learn too. So I don't care who you are when you get into the ring, um, you know, you can be good, bad or indifferent, but the, but the number one thing you can be is different. So, uh, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter who you are, what you look like. If, if you hold their attention, get their attention. And, uh, you know, I think that, so much of this art that we have uh, in pro wrestling is lost because there's an old school way of doing things that is very much lost in this business uh, that is different. And it's not going to go out there and put on the 10-star match, the five-star match, the banger that, uh, you know, a couple of incredible pro wrestlers who really have a conversation about this thing, who produce this thing, uh, you know, that it can be produced. Um, on an extremely high level on television, you know, a lot of hands, uh, you know, involved in that. But when it, when it boils down to just a live crowd at a live show, the cameras really aren't watching. They're always watching, but they're not the, you know, you're not on television. If this shit hits YouTube, it's under some fucking somebody's account. Nobody's watching. So it's like, uh, it's a real fun opportunity for me when I'm wrestling to get into the ring with guys and call it to them. And what does that mean in pro wrestling? It's like, it's the lost art. It's the way it used to be done. Um, and I don't really have to talk to you much as much as I just got to, you know, just uh, read my body language and learn how to do this thing. It's a dance and it's a song and a dance uh, when you got a microphone involved. So the, the, the people that are there in the live crowd, they can be talked to without a microphone. You can hear them. They can hear you. So uh, calling it in the ring and having a match on the what we call the fly, that's what I do. That's my forte. When I'm wrestling on these independent shows, uh, I see my opponent really in the ring. I usually lay out a few things that I do. You know what I mean? Like I do a DDT, bro, and at some point I'm going to hit you with it, buddy. Good fucking luck. You know, another point, I'm going to put my foot on your face and it's going to be done. That's it. So 
uh, there's not much that needs to be said besides that. You know, when I see pro wrestling uh, matches that that get a little uh, just, just get there's there's just a little too much going on that, that that is hard for me to suspend my disbelief at times. When the story that we're trying to tell is so simple, uh, we've all seen it: David versus Goliath, and the good guy versus the bad guy. At some point, you paint that picture, and that's why I love wrestling. Yeah, so I uh, wanted to ask you about the how you're doing, the origins of your character, the how you're doing, being a Jersey guy, making the culture a part of who you are and eventually who you became as a wrestler. Yeah, I love to see it uh, living and thriving through others too now these days. There's more people that have popped off in the Northeast. If you can recall, when when, when I busted in, there was really, uh, you know, at least, you know, they've, they've attempted it, they've tried it, they've had so many people that have been not, you know, they haven't been able to authenticate it, that haven't have, have tried the portrayal, um, and, and and some that have pulled it off, right? Like you had uh, Santino, uh, you know, he was Italian and he's from Canada, and there's a certain, uh, you know, all the all, all my all the Italians I know in New Jersey got cousins in Canada, dude. You know what I mean? Like, you know, there's a lot of cousins up north, so. It, it, there's this truth to all that, but there's a certain aspect of that loudmouth North Jersey, New York City, tri-state area, Philly, brash character that that uh, nobody's been able to really nail in the in the pro wrestling business for quite some time, and uh, it, it was it was an easy fill-in because the Jersey Shore was just like one of the most popular shows on TV. Here I come, I get signed. I'm from New Jersey. It was just amplifying all the people I grew up with, all the people I know, all the schmucks that make bad decisions at the clubs and, and in life. Uh, you know, that was just Enzo. That was just the character you played. It was just, you know, so many, uh, so many of my friends and family, you know, like my father, he's Italian and he's German. And my mother, she's 100% Irish. So I'm a little bit of a mutt. I'm Italian, German, and Irish. And I grew up on meat and potatoes and pasta and sauce. So like, I, I, I just, I, I grew up with people who were funny in the kitchen and, and, if, and they were always smoking cigarettes. And if you weren't, if you weren't funny in my town, you couldn't even hang. Like everybody who I grew up with would have popped off in the WWE. If you put a microphone in their hand, they would have handled it. You know, we all knew how to diss each other. And I grew up with a bunch of funny people and, um, it was just playing up on that man for real, you know? And, uh, but so much of it being able to see the lens of it too and, and, and being able to step outside the box and realize how ridiculous it is at times, you know, the betrayal of the people and being traveled. The more and more traveled I got, the more I grew as a human, the more, uh, you know, I, the more away from North Jersey and New York City I was for a long time, um, the more I was able to really sink in to portray the character. Watched a lot of Sopranos while I was on the road. Got it. So if you knew about it at the time, would you have uh, maybe tried out for Jersey Shore? Because I think you would have been cast. Absolutely. Uh, a lot of people were actually trying to get me to at that time. Um, and I was in college playing football. And it was a matter of, do you want to play your senior year of football? Or do you want to go try to be on the Jersey Shore? I always knew I wanted to be a pro wrestler. I thought maybe, I don't know. But then when Jersey Shore came out, it was nobody was from New Jersey. They were all from a different state. So everybody that I grew up with and, and knew and all the DJs, my father is a DJ. And all the DJs at DJs were were family employees from my Uncle Ralph at Premier Entertainment and all these people I knew from DJing. Because I was DJing quinceaneras, Sweet Sixteens, Bar Mitzvahs, Bat Mitzvahs, and parties when I was growing up. So I was doing that shit since I was a kid. And uh, I could have been one probably, you know, uh, had the keys handed to me to be a, be a DJ in North Jersey. And I just knew that uh, with my father doing that and me carrying speakers through kitchens um, and working for the man that one day I wanted to make music that yeah, it got played at this party. You know, I, I didn't want to. And, you know, that was really the truth of it. Uh, I was like pro wrestling kind of fell in my lap and I was a big enough of a fan Growing up, all I ever wanted to be was a pro wrestler. 
And then, you know, I played college football and I didn't know at, at that point how you would get into it. Um, I just, I went to the school that John Cena went to when I was a freshman thinking that's how you become yeah. a pro wrestler. Like, let me just, that's how, that's how I'll get in. And then, uh, one thing led to another, bro. And shit. <laughs> I, just, I fell into a place that, uh, you know, I fit in and, uh, it's the land of misfit toys, bro. And, and, and you, you literally become that you become a toy, become an action figure, keep that in your forefront that what you're doing is for children. Try not to get caught up in the hoopla, people talking about it. And, you know, man, you play, like, what are we talking about? You're an action figure, bro. You adults make storylines, playing with toys at your house. <laughs> like, dude, I mean, I was I was as good as anybody at making the storylines with the toys and, you know, get the Pam Anderson Barbie doll for Shawn Michaels when he wins the Rumble tonight. But I, I, I look, I didn't. I didn't ever, as an adult, think to myself, like, you know, this is, like, something I really need to be that that serious about. So that's how you really could play into being Enzo. If I didn't, I didn't care how I looked, right? It's like, and people can dig that. They're like, this guy make an idiot of himself. Like, it's like, you got to put yourself out there. If you're a young wrestler and you're trying to make it in this business and you're afraid to put yourself out there and afraid to look stupid, you're never going to be able to do it. Absolutely. And word of the street is you used to try to sell tickets for the Jets. I mean, that sounds like one of the hardest jobs in the world because I don't know who would want to go buy those tickets. No, my dad was a, my, my dad. Hey, hey, that's funny. Don't shit on the Jets, bro. The Jets have a good place in my heart. I love the Jets. My, the Jets afforded me a lot of great memories as a child. And, I, you know, Curtis Martin, Curtis, my favorite Martin as Chris Berman would call him, and I would agree with him, because when I was a kid growing up, I took this with him. I learned a lot from him. Um, what a great human being uh, Curtis Martin was. My dad was a DJ for the Jets. We got season tickets, and he would, and, and we got season tickets for, for DJing the game. They would give you two free tickets, and they were in the mezzanine, so if it rained, you were underneath, and you weren't on the lowest level, but you weren't up there in the nosebleeds. It was the middle of the old Giants stadium, and it was great seats. It was a great time, and I was a kid. I was a Giants fan. But whatever, we got Jets tickets. Let's go to the Jets games. And I used to show up just wearing like you know, like a, you know, a t-shirt, like like a like a white t-shirt or something. I didn't want to like put myself out there because I said I was a Giant fan. Well, we would go to the Giant. We would go to the game. You know, the first game I go to, Curtis Martin balls the hell out. I was like, Dad, I gotta get a Curtis Martin jersey. My father buys me a Curtis Martin jersey, and then we go into games. And then I go to the player's parking lot because where my father was able to park his car is where the players parked their car because my dad would bring his DJ equipment in and we would play the Bud Light tent. So the big tent that was shaped like a U that had a Bud Light symbol on it, that was when my dad DJed it. But we got to play it. So I'm sitting there as a kid. We're talking 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. I'm running around the parking lot, every player that pulls up asking for autographs, right? But they got a guy there, so he's kind of like, you know, he's an overseer of the parking lot security. He kind of don't let you run wild a little bit. You know, you kind of stay in an area where there's a few other motherfuckers like you that are in the area somehow. They're connected. They're in there, too, and they're waiting on autographs. So I would come, and I would wait. Bro, I kid you not, I had a black Curtis Martin jersey that was signed like eight, nine times, silver marker by Curtis Martin, okay? Because every time I saw him, I would go up to him. He drove a black ring. Range Rover that had silver side plates. He had always Louis on with the golf cap. And he would get out of his car and he would stop and he would talk to us kids, throw the football and sign my jersey every single time. And that was my favorite part of the game, right? And the same when I was a kid is in wrestling. My dad wouldn't take me to wrestling shows. And you know, you sit in the parking lot and you wait to see the wrestlers leave. And back in the day, it was word of mouth and like, who's in that car? And you would hope to get a glimpse. Sometimes they'd roll down a window. Sometimes they'd stop. Sometimes they'd even sign autographs. But it was always hit or miss. But everybody would always wait at the rotunda, at the Eyes Out Center now, it's called, or whatever the fuck that weird tent is now that I don't know what they're doing. But, uh, you know, the, the Continental Airlines Arena, my favorite part of the going to the shows was meeting these players and going to, and, you know, sit and watch and uh, and, and hope and hope that Curtis was, you know, going to roll up and be cool, and he always was. And it's like, man, and you got to bring a little bit of that play. So that was really how I built my brand in pro wrestling, I think.
it's genuine when you're having fun. And uh, when, when after shows, me and Cass would hang around in Florida, we'd be all over Florida. We would hang out in the parking lot, meet all the kids, sign all the autographs. And, you know, those people are the same people going, my name is Enzo Amore at these little Florida shows. And on that camera, that little Florida crowd starts speaking to the universe and starts speaking to the people in the UK. Next thing you know, we sell out, you know, the O2 Arena in London. And those 500 people that followed me around Florida with cast at Medicine Park a lot after every show, those are the same people that sang my song that let the world know what time it was. So it's like it really is get it from the mud, you know, grassroots. You know, that's where the authenticity comes out. Can't fake it. I want to talk about NXT because NXT has become the grassroots lifeblood of WWE. Anybody who wants to start, they go to the Performance Center. They work their way through NXT. Now, Nick and I, we had Dean Mutati, Mojo Rawley on the podcast with us a couple of months ago. How you doing? Mojo's a really good friend of yours, and you told me a really good story of working your way through developmental. Uh, you developing a friendship with Mojo, uh, Charlotte Flair, who's ended up becoming possibly one of the greatest female wrestlers, if not the greatest of all time, uh, Baron Corbin. And Baron's uh, hanging you... out with Taylor Swift now, Chiefs games. What the hell? All you guys hanging out with celebrities. But I want to talk to you about your time in NXT, working your way through developmental, being a part of uh, that class with the, those other graduates, that story you were telling me, and eventually becoming popular in NXT and growing it and having NXT at one point be as popular uh, as Raw and SmackDown with less of the resources uh, when it comes to TV. You were a part of that. Yeah, I mean, I was a part of, uh, as you mentioned, that recruiting class. So there was a, there was about 20 to 40 of us, I don't know, over, the, over like a course of a couple months. But July 1st of 2012, the class that I started with had Mojo Raleigh, who had played for the Green Bay Packers and the Arizona Cardinals, uh, Baron Corbin, who also played at the with the Arizona Cardinals, the Indianapolis Colts, who's actually the first guy to tell me about Pat McAfee. Funny enough, Baron Corbin was always trying to connect me with that guy. Um, so Charlotte also, um, and this was at a time when they were really starting to recruit women and really like make it pro wrestling. And, and, and Charlotte, um, became the epitome of all those things. What a, what a star, what a, what an incredible opportunity to, uh, to see that happen too, you know, at the ground floor of it all. Um, you know, I would say it's awesome because we all started together and we all had class together. So like imagine Charlotte's working on her headlock takeover with Barry Corbin and Mojo, you know, like the chicks weren't separated from the dudes at that point yet. It was FCW Florida championship wrestling and NXT was just a little show that was on, uh, was on or featured on like on the internet or, or uh, SmackDown in the early two thousands, but never became a thing post that. And then, uh, you know, you got to hand it to Hunter. Um, you know, he found me on the back of a moving truck. He found these guys in the NFL. Charlotte signed her. Um, you know, there was about 30, 40. There was a few others. Uh, Emma, uh, if you remember, um, Australian girl, moved all the way from Australia to chase the dream, which was really cool to see her achieve that. You know, success is something that can really, you know, it can be measured in so many different ways. But just to make a, make a living in a, in a foreign country doing something that you love is really cool. And I saw a lot of people do that in NXT um, and, and come to America, live in Florida, you know, it's really a dream, like, come true. And when you're in it, it's hard to see it when you're in it because the light at the end of the tunnel is you want to get on Raw, you want to get on SmackDown, you want to be at WrestleMania. But, like, what an earnest living. Like, if you can be a pro wrestler in NXT, and I remember guys that came to NXT or came to the Performance Center, and they just wanted to work in the business. And they were like, what a great opportunity in life to live in Florida, you know, a tax-free state. Uh, and, and work for the WWE in a, in a business that I love and it doesn't get any bigger. It's like Disney of it, you know? So uh, there were so many people that had different perspectives. And I think that my perspective when I was under the roof, when I was young, you know, chasing this dream was get the fuck out of my way. Uh, I don't want to be here. 
working at the NXT Performance Center. I want to get the fuck out of here. Be on Raw, be on SmackDown, be a household name, make millions, and fucking be the next The Rock in music and in wrestling and in and movie. And you just and I was going ham and I was just living a wild, wild life. But I think that so much of that afforded me the opportunity to become a star. Uh was that that just measure of, you know, like will to 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 go further than uh than the people that were content in the situation they were in, um to a degree. Uh but also, you know, life humbles you and you go through life and you grow as a human. And when you were young, you know, you finally achieved those things that I wanted. I wanted the fame. I wanted the money. I got it. You know, I did it by the time I was 30 titles and a million dollars. And I lost so much of, you know, that world of pro wrestling passed me by when I decided, you know, that I didn't want to do that thing anymore for, you know, two, three years of my life. Uh, you know, and, 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 you know, when you take a man's livelihood from him, a lot of the times you castrate him, you kill him and you, in ways, you know, make make uh, make a new man out of him, um, you know, all for the better now, you know, like force me to seek forms of income outside of pro wrestling and and, and uh, have degrees of success in business um, and in life and in music and other forms of entertainment, do other things, but grow as a human. And I learned it all through wrestling. So, um, you know. NXT is a, is a, is a show that is on television now, and when I was there, it was a pipe dream. And when I started in wrestling, it was a pipe dream, and and that's all it was. And and when Hunter told us he was going to do that thing, I was a part of something. We didn't. We I remember everybody think everybody was blowing smoke. You're going to end up on tour. You're going to end up here. You're going to, you know, what does that tell you about a vision? A vision is a beautiful thing uh, to see it fulfilled in real time. You know that's a credit to all the people that make that thing work, but really, you know, Vince McMahon and, and, and the company that's there, you know, that shit's going to last forever. I mean, I don't give a fuck what anybody says that, that, that that's like Disney, you know, WrestleMania is like, you know, little mermaid. It's a brand and it ain't, and it ain't going to never not, not be there. How did you end up with your ring name? And why did uh Canyon Seaman give you a hard time with a bunch of ring name options? And you mentioned, you know, going on tour, what was it like that first that first takeover at the Barclays? You guys opened it up to to do the uh, the regular NXT taping, but you guys started off that night in that big crowd. Well, really, you know, nothing could have prepared us for what it was that happened. But you know what? This was a dream come true for so many of those guys that were on those cards because they had worked so hard to get there. We were in the ring five, six, seven days a week. We went through hells that were FCW. We built the performance center with our bare hands, put up weight room equipment, screwed and nut and bolt and paint, and you know, and, and put every ring together. That was the manual labor that happened to build that place. The reward was real. And, and we got to travel the world uh, in NXT, uh, the first of its kind. And truth be told, the first music that ever hit everywhere we ever went was me and me and Cass. We opened every show. The first ever NXT show to leave Florida was in Columbus, Ohio, Enzo and Cass. The first time we hit Chicago, Enzo and Cass. The first time we hit Brooklyn, Enzo and Cass. Every single time you hit a city for the first time. And I'm not just talking about on TV. I'm talking about live when we hit a when we hit a new market. We set that show off every time because it was an easy song and a dance, easy you were story the most to tell. Over, you were the most overact in the company. I remember the day you did guys debuted on the Raw after WrestleMania, and you guys got the loudest reaction of the night. So usually we want to start off the crowd with something really, really good, and obviously you always walk out and you do your promos and everything. I was actually going to ask you about your, your relationship with William Morrissey, uh, what he's doing now, and how tight you guys became you know, during that run. Um, I think that the closest we ever were in our lives was probably just, you know, you know, if I see the guy now, it's, it's, he's my brother. Like, like, you know, in a long time, no see, you get it. You pick right back up where you were. Like, that's my brother. I could call him right now and I'll always answer. Um, I love him, but I think that, you know, when we were in NXT, we were young, we were, we were bona fide studs, dude, just tearing the town up, getting hammered drunk at all the bars, meeting all the girls, and it wasn't hard. 
when you had him and you had me barking about him because it was just a shoot. I was just, I was, was his mouthpiece everywhere we went. And, uh, you know, his wingman and his accomplice and his best friend in life is, uh, you know, is, is partner in crime and me and him tore it up. And so did all those people in NXT. What a close knit group of people from, uh, you know, from Dash and Dawson to Jordan and Gable to, you know, everybody up and down the line, Blake and Murphy and just all the tag teams that we worked with and Aiden and, and, and all the chicks, Bailey and Carmella and Liv. And we were all dating and it was all intertwined and it was a crazy mix of people at the time. Um, the roster, Kevin Owens came to town, Finn Balor, Sami Zayn, Neville, his wife, their families from England, Kevin and his kids. And just what a what a wild ride that we all got to enjoy together in NXT first times, you know, doing all those shows around the world. Um, can never be done again, which is always the coolest when you do something like. You know, there in, in the when we look back at shit, you got like the NWO invasion. You got the cl- curtain call and the click, right? You know what I mean? And yet, you know, in this world, you got the NXT and the NXT when they hit the world, and then you got, you know, the the Ring of Honor and and and, and um, New Japan show that did Madison Square Garden, and you get. You know, the guys that did all in and that, that wave and then AEW and it's all first time things. So to be a part of that first time with all that NXT shit was lit. Was, 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 was but you know what? Like you're a young man and you're famous for the first time once and you can only live it like how I was living. And I was said, dude, everywhere I went, it was how you doing. And uh, do you want a beer? Do you want a drink? Do you want some free food? Do you want some pussy? It was just what? <laughs> like, how the hell do you handle all this? It's, it was too much to handle. And, um, you know, you, you live, you learn, you grow, you have fun. And when you get older, you know, things are never as sweet. The same people are not as there the first, the second time around. And you learn to appreciate different things, you know, like a lot of my homies are dead and gone or in different locker rooms or, you know, like, and, and that goes for family members that, you know, my grandma, she's not there to see it anymore. You know, she was there the first time in the Barclays Center when I got to do that. You know what I mean? Like, Life changes. Now I got a little goddaughter now. Now for her to be able to see something special would be something different. You know what I'm saying? So what would you say is the most memorable or the loudest pop that you would say you got? Was it that stuff in London or is it your debut out on Raw? What's the most memorable for you? Damn, they all rival each other, man. Uh, The, the debut pop and just how long it lasted from just singing along with me to taking the breaks in between to get catchphrases over. They they were getting their own shit over. I wasn't doing that. You know, the crowd like, oh, Enzo Amore. That started in London. Uh, people don't realize like what in what went into the tag team match that I had with Dash Dawson for the tag team titles in London at the O2 Arena and how big of a deal that was for NXT at the time. It's the first ever NXT live tour. And you're just looking when they announce who's going to be on the travel list, let alone the main card of the NXT show. And the hundred of people that are in the NXT performance that is competition and all wanting to get on the show and the NXT tour across overseas with a live, uh, you know, like Triple H produces the segments. And Triple H is like, yo, Enzo, this is not fun and games, Enzo, song and dance, Enzo, you know, Dash and Dawson, this is no hokey shit. No bouncing around, making people look stupid. This is blood and guts. This is fucking serious money selling, selling a story, selling money. And you need to hit Enzo needs to deliver a money go home promo before we go on this tour to London that airs before we go overseas and we go live for the first NXT takeover in London. And I remember like people thinking that I didn't I I couldn't do that. 
like thinking that I was just funny or thinking that I couldn't have a match that was serious. And it wasn't just like, it was like producers and like my own coaches and people. And I remember being like, bro, in my brain, like when it's time for that, yeah, I can do that. No fucking problem. You fucking idiots. Like in my brain, but always in my head, like I knew that when I was in that part of my career, that funny made money for me. It was, it was that, that character was what got me over so I never strayed too far from it. But in this particular storyline, it was the first storyline for, you know, and I had to deliver a promo. And I remember we did it. Me and Cass, we delivered a promo. And we had Carmella and we got the dope ass outfits and I wore the red J's. Um, and, and, and Carmella started rocking the J's and the leopard print. We had the black leather and, we came out in the UK and I had the flag of the UK uh, Jack on my, on my, on my overalls when I turned them over that, that like that crowd what went into the storyline and us fighting for those titles. People don't realize NXT at that time was not shown in the U S but on Hulu, but over there in Europe, it was shown on TV. So when we sold out the O2 arena, they were all familiar with this storyline. This crowd knew all of Finn Balor and Samoa Joe and Bailey and all these people. So uh, that was my first blood feud rivalry for tag titles in a major big arena. And uh, I got my parents flown over there because I got a video game check like a few months, like a month before that for the NXT being in the video game. It was only like five of us, but I was broke as shit. When I got that money, I went and bought a motorcycle and I got my parents tickets to London and they came to watch that, 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 that's number one in my brain. That'll never be topped. Yeah. And especially, you know, going overseas, you guys always tend to bond better because you're traveling together as one big family. So sounds like an incredible time there for sure. And you mentioned it before at your top, you know, you didn't realize what you had sometimes until it's gone. Something's got taken away from you. Maybe, you know, we're not getting into things. You kind of got blackballed maybe sometime for a little bit there. But, you know, you're always a ratings magnet. you cruiserweight champ. You're main eventing Raw at the point when nobody cares about that. You had that little heel turn there, which was a little surprising because you were, you know, the top, one of the top faces there is. But what do you think the reaction would be like from a fan? Well, I'll tell you the toughest, the toughest day of my career was being a flipped heel. Yeah. Because they wouldn't tell me flat out. They would not tell me flat out that we're flipping you heel. We're just going to make Biz bury you in a promo about all internet dirt cheat shit. And we're not going to let you rebuttal. And so if you rebuttal, you're getting fired. Do not say a fucking word. Let Miz bury you. Because your rebuttal is going to be, you know, you shouldn't be saying how you doing. You should be saying who's your daddy about his pregnant wife. So that was going to be, but I was only going to ask for the Mike mid match and do that after I've been shitted on. And then I look angry and then that's my rebuttal. And that's what Vince wanted. So if that's what Vince wants, he wants me to get shitted on by Miz and I can't rebuttal. And the only thing I get to say is who's your daddy. Fuck it. Let it be. I, I it's not my job. It's, you know, like there's certain hills you got to die on. I tried to die on that one. They said you would have really died. You would have been, persecuted and executed and guillotined like that would have been it if you tried to say to the old man that you didn't want to do this so initially i didn't want to do it i didn't want to go out there and get buried on a microphone and not be able to rebuttal when i knew i could just motherfuck you on the microphone and and steal my thunder back if i wanted it but that's not what they wanted you're definitely one of the best on the microphone your time in the company is there anybody else that you thought could parallel you or kind of go toe-to-toe with you if you guys were given the opportunity to do a big-time promo? No, I think that people just got to recognize, like, that's not what wrestling is necessarily about. Like, it's we're doing business together. We got to wrestle. We got to tell a story, and eventually it gets in the ring, right? You know, and uh, it's not about that as much as it's about, like, you know, being an MC. Uh, you know, like, people got to recognize and realize that the lifeblood of the company is the microphone, and and you can't curse and you can't go off script and you can't do certain things. You're 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 limited to a certain parameter. 
So like within that, within that parameter, within that space, uh, I don't think I could ever be touched. I, I don't I, like in my generation in my, but my generation is over. That shit is done. Like I, like we can talk about it now. You know what I'm saying? Like, like it doesn't need to be put up against this or that generation. It's like, you know, they, they had a different, they had a different, uh, you know, set of rules that they all abided by that I didn't. I was in a PG era, you know, watch John Cena do the Thanksgiving promo talking about, you know, the gravy and all the, and the cream from his, you know, and, and, and the balls and, the, and, and, you know, the things that got John Cena over in the attitude era, people don't realize that let him become Captain America. And when you look at the rock, you know, uh, you know, turn it sideways and shove it straight up your candy ass. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And Poon Tang Pie and Pie and and Austin with hell yeah, drinking beers and the middle fingers and on the merch. Dude, that wasn't okay when I was there. Different time. So you had to be creative and you had to do something different. And that's what it was that I did with soft and and and, the, and that and and uh it just I don't think it can be compared. And one day hopefully I'll get the credit, but it's not my job to try to get it, you know, like I did it, it's done. Uh, I believe in what you know, my stamp of fuck yeah, certified dude. Like I don't need to do it again. Like it doesn't need to happen again. Uh not to say that I wouldn't want it to happen again at this point in my life, like you know, uh I'd be open to that opportunity more so now than ever, just because of the, uh, the situation with, you know, how long can I do it and how, and, and, and the age of my family, you know, my, my parents are getting old and my goddaughter's getting older. And I just, you know, I think that, that it's not about me this time around because when it was about me, I motherfucked it. Dude, don't, don't have no, don't have, no, you know, if ends or buts about it, I took it. I, I took it. I took it there, dude. I went end zone to end zone with it. But in the grand scheme of things, like this time around, I wouldn't be doing it for me. I would be doing it for family and my mom and dad who love it. They would. I did. They sit on their couch and watch that shit while I'm on TV. And I, I can't give them a better life. Listen, you carved yeah. out. You carved out your own spot that people are always going to remember for you in the company. I think that's an accomplishment in itself. Uh, you're still loved by a lot of people, even though you haven't been on TV uh, in a while. Uh, we still love you. Don't worry about that. But talking about taking care of your your family, your goddaughter, uh, doing things, you know, moving forward into the future. Let's talk about your music career and uh, how that's gotten off the ground and what you would like to do there and ultimately uh, what you would like to do with that moving forward. You know, I, I, I just... It's a crazy anomaly when you step into music and, you know, I've gotten a million streams plus in, in life. You know, it's been a five year career in music and it's just like college. You go to do something for five years. You're going to be able to put your, you know, stamp of approval on it and say, like, you know, I, I, I'm good at this thing now. I, I got my degree just like in pro wrestling. I think it took me about three, five years to really hone in on my skills, get booked in major places on, on big cards and and. And do things that uh you know I, I I didn't it's all throughout doing so practice makes perfect and 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 repetition is the father of learning and I'm still learning when it comes to music it's something that I've always had a passion for that's something that I've always done um this guy is always calling me call me later folks so <laughs> I uh, <laughs> I just think uh my music has. I've done something that most people can't comprehend and they maybe won't. It's that I, you can't put a, put a, a sound on me. You can't say I do this genre or that genre, or he sounds like this or sounds like that because you know, like a cartoon character can, can, can you, I, you can do voices. Like I'm like Robin Williams in, 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 in Mrs. Doubtfire. Like, you know, I do voices, bro. Like I can, I can sing in a different voice or rap in a different voice. Um, and hell no, I'm not much of a singer, but shit, that's, that's the part of having courage, confidence and a set of balls and just letting it go and not giving a fuck what the world has to say. Because when you make music, you really need to do it for you first. And through that process, then it becomes genuine, real, and others can enjoy it. So I've been able to make a lot of music. Uh, I have a lot more to come, but I think that my, my project born in NJ that's out there now, uh, it's like a mellow vibe. 
good for a road trip. Like if you, if you just try to chill me and a lot of people are like, yo, where's the new music? Why aren't you doing music? Why, where is it? Because it does connect with certain people. And it means a lot to me that it does, you know, like as much as anything, I have a song called grace with my grandmother where, you know, I, I made it with my little brother and my little brother is the, music video uh creative director for rod wave but made my music video phoenix and now has worked for uh cole bennett and lyrical lemonade for some time but he's shot with his own camera and is credited as the dp for post malone's video for motley Crue on the nascar track you know jack carlo what's popping my brother shot all this shit so what is success if it's not under others you know i had success in pro wrestling and I, I, I had an opportunity to shoot a music video with my brother, and he has now since shot music videos for Post Malone and Kanye. Like, fuck, bro. Like, okay, bro. So, man, I'm blessed. I, my family means the most to me, and that's all I care about. So, like, you know, it was different when I was young. Everybody always knew Eric was a lunatic. So, like, when I was with my family, he's like, I'm out. I'm gone. Like, paint my room pink. I ain't coming back home. I'm like, you know, but it's funny how life works, you know, like uh, you find yourself in the, at those parties all the time and you start to look around at the party and you see and a lot of people hop back in a car and ain't trying to go to the same place you're trying to get to. And you stop and you're taking detours and people are starting to fuck up your time. And, and then you go into these parties and, you know, the hours getting late, and your body's starting to feel like shit. And, you know, like you don't bounce back like you used to. I used to be able to go out and drink when I was young. And go have a wrestling match all night. If I did that shit now, I'd trip over my own two feet, fucking knock my own teeth out on the ground. I can't, you know, like I can't, I can't get up. I can't get up like I used to. I used to be able to bounce up, you know, out of bed and and, and be able to accomplish a lot of things. But you know, I say that, but I'm probably selling myself short. I, I mean, I've just had benders that lasted for 24, 48 hours that went straight onto television that people can't even comprehend, but they eyewitnessed and it was great shit. When you saw it on television, it was great shit. I was cooking. So I just can't necessarily go back and do it the same way. So how do you give that a sequel? I don't know. It'd be funny to see how it all pans out uh, and, and what kind of product I would put on a television screen if it were to come around again, uh, when it comes around again, right? Because you got to start putting things forward. Uh, you know, when, when you when when you feel like you're ready for those things, you you really need to start manifesting them by speaking them back out into the into the universe. And uh, you know, that's really what you know has been happening over the past few months is is really me just saying like I want to wrestle and shit. My phone has been blowing up. My schedule is full, and I'm wrestling three days a week, and it's just been crazy. I mean, I'm definitely paying the price for it. I don't know how many of these bumps I really need to be taking on these indie matches, but. We'll see. Yeah, I was going to say, there's, if there's one thing you're really good at, it's knowing how to keep eyeballs on you, whether you're driving around like you're doing right now, driving back and forth to Kentucky, to indie shows, and back and everything. Uh, but I, I, I got to mention my boy Chris one more time here with the music thing because, you know, he does drums. Hopefully we could eventually find a part for him somewhere in one of your future songs, right? Oh, hell yeah, absolutely, brother. If you have a drum pattern that you want to fuck with, or you want to come to the studio, you want to send me something crisp, I swear to God, I'll make it clean, man. And that's on the good Lord Jesus Christ. I, I made a good song called God is Good, G-I-G. And you wouldn't think it's like a Christian song without curse words, but uh, it sounds like a trap beat. It's on my album, Lion's Blood, L-Y-O-N-S. That's, uh, you know, my family's last name. So my family's from Ireland, and I'll be in Ireland next week at Over the Top Wrestling, O-T-T, uh, Wrestling on the 16th and 17th, Saturday, Sunday, in Belfast and Dublin. I'll be in the UK in February. Uh, take a look out for me in March over there as well. I'm going from the, in the UK from like February 6th, like March 16th, bro. I'm, I'm, it's just a tour of the UK to wrestling again. Uh, I haven't seen fans over there in a long time, and, and they were so good to me when I was in the shits. Uh, Boy, oh boy, I can't wait. So, you know, it's been a blessing, man, to get back out there. I'll be doing a concert in the UK uh, with the music. So check me out, uh, you know, and, and check out the song Stunner. Uh, I just noticed somebody said to me that the song streams. I don't know what happened, but the stream started ticking a little bit. So it got a star on it on Apple. And that leads me to believe, like, okay, maybe I should make a music video for this song. So 
we'll see what kind of ten I can put on a on a on a uh, on a silver screen, bro. Because she's got to be a stunner. The song is Stone Cold Stunner, dog. So the woman's got to be just that. S T U N N A by a real one. Uh, check out the song. Uh, that song is going to need a music video, and hopefully, uh, you know, I put a little money into it. And we'll see that thing boom because I ain't signed with record labels. I do this shit the independent way. Could have signed with record labels in 2018, and I did not do it. Uh, not to say that those offers are still on the table. I don't think they are, but I wouldn't want them anyway. I still believe in myself, and that's what you need when you want to get where you got to go. Um, you know, I just started getting going where I got to go, and I'll get there when I get there. But when I get there, you're all going to know, dude. You know, the only way to get it going is to, you know, get going. You can't mention Stunner without me mentioning my favorite video that I've ever seen in my whole life. Nick and I have done this before. We posted it as a social clip a couple months ago when we had Bojo on, and we brought it up. Uh, one day, a couple years ago, you showed up at DJ's. It was a Sunday fun day. Everybody was riled up, and we're going to mention this now with you on there. You got up on stage, and you gave one of my cousin's friends the Stone Cold Stunner, Enzo. When I go back this summer, when we go back, are you going to show up and you're going to give out some more stunners on the DJ stage? No, my ass still hurts from that one, dude. I'm done. That's a wrap, bro. I, I feel you, Austin. I know, Austin. See, when you're coming up with a finisher in pro wrestling, you really want to do one where, you know, like Diesel's jackknife power bomb works when, you know, he's, you know, in his late 20s, early 30s, mid 30s, and he's still able to really pick guys up and slam them. But by the time he won that title, I think he was 35, 36 years old at the Garden. You know, Bob Back, you know, he, he was a sandbagging son of a bitch. I don't even think he got up for him too good. But after that, you know, you got to pick everybody up and slam them. Try to come up with a finish you can hit on anybody at any moment. And, you know, DDP, the, you know, the diamond cutter, it turned RKO out of nowhere, right? Uh, Stone Cold Stunner. You know, my finish is eat the feet. Uh, which is, you know, basically, it, I call it Jordan, you know, Jordan, like, you know, you're done, you know, or Jordan, you know, Jordan shoes or a Jordan. A Jordan is a flatback and a stunner, you're just bumping straight down on your spine on your stack of dimes. My stack of dimes, ain't, uh -uh, that ain't that ain't where I want to take a bump, bro, on my ass. When I take a bump, it's preferably <laughs> on, on my back, bro. There you go. So Enzo none, led. None up my nose, none up my nose. <laughs> Last question from us here in your in your wrestling career or maybe your college football career or music, what would you say is your you know I'm right moment? Essentially, and I told you so moment, you ask somebody for advice, they tell you, don't do that, it's a bad idea. And you were like, you know what? I'm gonna do it anyway. And ultimately, in the end, you will see why it is that I'm right. Story of my career every fucking night. I got the mic. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody wanted to let me do that, man. Uh I could have toured a new asshole I felt every single night and they wouldn't buy There's no time for it, man. You just, unless you're out there in the main event or you, and that was how it ended. It was told you so. I got the microphone in the main events, uh, you know, whether it would be with the cruiserweight title or opening Monday night raw. I'm out there. Those were all I told you. So moments. It's like, give it to every time I ever got the microphone in major moments. I delivered every single time, every time. It wasn't a single time where you look back and you go, oh, no. It's like, no, the longer the leash, the, the, the better. You know, they had me at a, on a short leash for a long time. And, uh, you know, when you're in those NXT years, you want to say so much. You want to do so much. You want to cut so many promos. But you're in a tag team. And there's four moving parts. And those guys that are beating you up, you just walk to the ring, buried them for three, four minutes on a microphone, big cast. He wants to talk to Carmella. We got to acknowledge her, too. I got to put, my name is Enzo Amore. This is Carmella. About a big hottest chick in the ring. This right here is Big Cass. And he's seven foot tall, and you can't teach that. And here you go, Cass. You're SAWFC soft. You say that part because I've already talked for fucking 10 minutes. So, like, now I got to say more about my opponents. And there's here's come the digs and the more you know, the creative and, and, and what, where are we right now? And what town are we in? And okay. Now I got opponents and they're coming to the ring and wait, they want to do wrestling moves too. And wait, and some drop kicks and some Hernacanaranas and throw some head scissors and, and, and throw some drop down tackle leapfrog. No dude. Enzo, you just talked for 10 minutes. 
Now we don't have time for that shit because the rest of the card, we're only allotted for 15 minutes in our match. And by the time you're done talking, it's seven, eight minutes into the match. You know, I didn't have time to do the, 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 the position I was in didn't allow for me to speak for five to 10, 20 minutes and didn't allow for me to do a five fucking 20 minute wrestling moves. But I did have to talk every single night, unlike everybody else. And then I did have to have a wrestling match after that, unlike everybody else who maybe talked and then didn't have a match, was a manager, Paul Heyman, or whoever it was, or, uh, you know. So it was a unique position. And by the time it's done, I got the microphone, I'm in the main event, I'm having matches, and I'm calling shit, and I'm doing moves, and I'm producing backstage segments, and we're going on tour with the cruiserweights. And it was just, they told you so all the way to the top. All the way to the top. Major angles, major stuff, especially with John Cena. I remember traveling to Battleground back in 16 with that match. I uh, got to see you a couple of times live. Uh, you were always amazing. I had the opportunity to meet you in person. You were amazing then. Uh, last question for me, and then we'll let you go, Enzo. Where are you driving to now? Uh, I am coming back from Connecticut. Where uh, where I just sat down with Vince. No, I'm joking. Nick <laughs> <laughs> Khan. Nick Khan. It's on. It's gonna be on the dirt sheets, right? No, I really just uh, I really just left Connecticut. But uh, if you don't know, I just was um, I was just at the Giants game last night, uh, which was amazing. But I am just dropping my dog off at my mother's house. So she can watch him for me. I'm going to the gym. I'm going to go hit freak strength where I've been putting work in every single day. Uh, trying to get into the, you know, the best shape of my life more or less, because you don't have a choice as you get older. You just, you know, you got to take care more and more and more. And uh, for years and years of my life, my, you know, the extent of my workout was bending my elbow at the bar. Um, and, uh, in, in, in the years where I was on television prominently, um, I was definitely a, more of a more of a partier than I was a a a fitness guy or a workout guy, and uh, I've gone the complete one eighty on that. I just trying to take care of my body and my health. So uh, working out at Freak Strength, shout out Mike Wadango and all the guys he trains, the McCordy twins and Chris Hogan, all the NFL guys, uh, Evan Neal, and and all these incredible. Um, you know, high school kids and 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 college athletes. Uh, it's good to be around inspiring athletes that that want to see you know each other win. Uh, it's a good atmosphere for me in, 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 at this point in my life. I guess Tommy DeVito out there with you. Yeah, I haven't <laughs> seen Tommy in the gym yet, bro. If he does, I'm going to tell him. You know, um, he's doing, doing a great job. Yeah, you know, he's doing a great job. And um, if he starts coming to the gym, guaranteed cold cuts, guaranteed. <laughs> We'll get, him. we'll get him. We'll get him everything he ever needed if he comes to freak strength. I'd love to see him come work out there. Uh, there's plenty of guys in the NFL that are there. His teammates are there, but I haven't seen him yet, so that'd be great. Love hearing that. Really, really good. All right, let me run, Thanks. buddies. I appreciate Absolutely. you guys having me on this Enzo, bad boy. Thank you for Four coming hours. on. Thank I you for coming it, on. We wish you the thank best you. moving forward. All right, thank I appreciate you for your time. The love, That's going to do here for this episode of You on Right. For our very special guest, the real one, Enzo, my co-host Joe, I'm Nick, and this has been You Know All Right. <laughs>